morning. I mean, y'all are a lot more awake than the first service was. Open up to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. I appreciate the honor of uh, getting to proclaim God's word. I'm the student pastor here. My name's Tyler Armstrong. If you're a guest with us, I'm not the normal pastor. Uh, Thomas, you saw him. That is our lead pastor, but he is in Maryland this week with our mission team, and we are praying for them uh, for much fruit this week. Um, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Psalm 103, 13. I love that passage from Psalms because it tells us that just like a earthly father shows compassion to his children, the Lord shows even more compassion to those who fear him and respect him. But here's the truth, brothers and sisters, and Charles pointed this out. Father's Day rouses many emotions um, inside this room. Uh, Some of us, our fathers have been there um, our entire lives. Our dads have, uh, I mean, we're sitting beside him or we're going to call him this afternoon, go see him this afternoon, go eat with him. And it's going to be a blessed time of uh, just appreciating the work that your father did. But then some of us inside this room, our dads have passed away. And we will not be seeing them today. So there's some of us is their term. It's going to be a day of sorrow. Even more so, some of us inside this room, um, as one of my friends I was talking to this morning, whose dad is absent from his life, he said Father's Day is like ripping a Band-Aid off of a wound that just won't heal. Um, it's just one of those things. It's like a constant reminder of the failures of his dad who was living in sin and made simple decisions that cost him his family. This is Father's Day in our postmodern culture. This is Father's Day in the 21st century. And what typically happens when I was growing up was on Mother's Day, mom's got the, mom, you're awesome message, and dad's got the step up men message. That's typically what happened in my world growing up. But here's what I want to tell you this morning. There's a father who loves each and every one of us beyond anything our earthly father could could ever fathom. That there's a father who, despite our father on this planet, our earthly dad's character flaws, and every one of our dads had character flaws. Our father, this father has no character flaws. He loves perfectly. He waits patiently. He runs quickly when the little brother comes home, and he talks graciously to the older brother who stayed home. Today we're going to be preaching from a very familiar passage, but I don't want to focus on so much so on, on the little brother or the older brother over these next two weeks, I want to focus on their perspective of this prodigal father. This father who lavishes his grace upon us. This father who we read of, who loves both of these sons, and then we see each son's response. This message will not work if you do not place yourself wherever you believe you are. If you are the little brother or the older brother, there's everyone inside this room is one of those two. You're either the little brother or the older brother, and we'll break those down over these next two weeks. My prayer is that these next two sermons that we preach will help reveal who the father is and who he is to you and what he can do for you and who you are compared to his love. Luke 15 uh, verse 1 says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Now this begins a series of three parables that we all may be familiar with. If you grew up in church, you may not be familiar with these. But the first parable is the one of the lost sheep. 
where the, where the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes to save the one. Then it goes on to the parable of the lost coin of a woman who has 10 silver coins and she loses one and she lights a lamp in her house and starts sweeping and cleaning until she finds that one coin and she rejoices when it's found. But we're going to jump down to verse 11 where this parable begins. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him out into work into the fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, I love this, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you for who you are and what you have done and what your son accomplished on the cross for us. And we are thankful for sending the Holy Spirit to reside within us. Father, as a mere man before you, I pray that your spirit will just speak through me, that these words that are spoken will be spoken by you. And that most of all, that you will be magnified above all. That nothing I say will bring glory to myself or to this church or to anyone inside this room. But that you will be magnified and worshipped above all. Thank you for what the Son accomplished. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The main point I want to communicate to you is this. Receive the prodigal father's extravagant grace. Receive the prodigal father's extravagant grace. Now, growing up. I kind of had a misunderstanding of this story. I'm going to admit to you. Um, I've heard the prodigal son story my entire life. And most of the time when I heard this sermon or heard this story, it focused primarily on this younger brother. It focused primarily on this younger brother and him leaving and coming home. And what I imagined was this crowd listening to them, listening to him, listening to Jesus speak. And as they spoke... People's eyes welling up, tears running down their face, saying, what a great story. Wow. I know somebody like that. We need to pray for him. God bless him. You know what I'm saying? That's what I grew up in. But what I've come to realize after reading this passage in much study is that the true prodigal in this story, while it is also the prodigal son... The father is also the prodigal. But we need to have a true understanding of what the word prodigal means. The definition of the word prodigal, according to the dictionary, is this. Having or giving something on a lavish scale. Extravagant. 
to spend freely. As we receive the prodigal father's extravagant grace, we need to ask ourselves, how is this father the prodigal and what does this mean for us? The first thing we need to understand is who is the who is Jesus speaking to here? He is not speaking to, as verse one says, the tax collectors and the sinners who were drawing near to him. He was speaking to verse two, the Pharisees and the scribes who were grumbling, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Because verse three says, so he told them this parable. The Pharisees. Are in the line of fire for these parables. And the parable of the prodigal son is a very interesting one. Because it actually ends in such a way. That it kind of leaves open ended. It lets the Pharisees open up their hearts. To understand what is going on. So we'll talk about that next week. So in this story. It matters so much that the parable is being spoke to to the Pharisees. And not just the tax collectors and sinners. Because they're the ones who are supposed to be taken care of. The tax collectors and the sinners. God had commanded them to be the shepherd. God had commanded them to take care of those. The least of these. But the problem is. Is that they weren't doing their job. They were not fulfilling the calling that the Lord had placed upon them. And so Ezekiel actually tells us that there will come a shepherd who will shepherd these people. And what Jesus is about to do with this parable is he's about to flip the entire status quo and tell us about this father whose love is so extravagant, whose grace is so lavish, whose power is so restoring that it's going to blow the Pharisees' mind. And he's going to do it by contrasting these two brothers Who are different as night and day. I know this because of my brother. We are different as night and day. And this one father's radical, gracious, redeeming love for both of them. And how each of them respond to this father's love. What I'll tell you first this morning is this. Receive his grace. Even when you choose sin over him. Receive his grace even when you choose sin over him. Now what do I mean by choosing sin? What do I mean by that? Right now inside this room, every one of us inside of our hearts are battling some type of sin. But the truth is, there's someone inside this room right now that probably is choosing that sin and enjoying that sin more than the father. You see, this parable tells us of a son who goes to his father and says, Give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now, what happens here is absolutely detrimental to this family relationship. And now this family seems like they're pretty dysfunctional. So if you're from a dysfunctional family this morning, if you put the fun and dysfunctional, let me tell you this, you're not alone. You're not alone. This little, this son, this younger brother says, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. What he is essentially saying to this father is this. Father, you are dead to me. Give me your things. Feel the weight of that. Father, you are dead to me. Give me your things. Now, what would typically happen in this situation when the father dies is that the older brother would get two thirds of the cut and the younger brother would get one third. But that would happen after the father died. The Pharisees here in this story would be asking, what kind of son is this? What a terrible excuse for a son. 
That son deserves to be cast out. But this younger brother is desiring a freedom that he believes can't be found underneath his father's roof. Rudyard Kipling in his uh, poem, The Prodigal Son, writes this. My father glooms and advises me. My brother sulks and despises me. My mother catechizes me till I want to go out and swear. This younger brother desired to call his own shots. This younger brother desired to live his life in such a way that the father was dead to him. He did not want anyone above him. He wanted the father's things, but he did not want the father. He wanted the father's things, but he did not want the father. The Pharisees at this moment would be expecting some violence on the father's part. And when I say violence, I mean a good old fashioned southern belt whooping. You know what I'm talking about? That's what they're expecting in this moment. They're expecting this father to throw out some, to roll his sleeves up, get some fists out, beat up this son and say, get out of my house. You're dead to me. But notice this father's response. Verse 15. And he divided his property. No, verse 12. And he brought, divided his property between them. And he divided his property between them. That Greek word for property is really interesting. It's actually this word me is bios. And that word bios literally means life. He divided his life between them. What this father had done his entire life had worked to attain this property. He had worked to attain this property. And what he had to do now was sell this property so that he could give it to his sons. He had to literally give his life to both of the sons. Pouring out his life, his hard-earned work, now gone split between his two older sons. Now notice that both of these sons experience this love, but both of them respond differently. One stays at home and one runs as far as he can. He runs as far as he can to a distant country. And when he arrives at a distant country, he is living the playboy lifestyle. He has money. He has popularity. He has extravagance. He is just has people just ooing and eyeing over them. He is squandering through his, through his father's money. He's living a life of extravagance and pleasure. Not realizing what's about to happen. Because at this moment, all of it was just at the tip of his fingers, just a dollar sign away. He could have whatever he wanted. But here's the truth. All this time, all the while, the father's love never left him. The father's love never left him. He showed him his love by splitting the inheritance. He showed him his love by letting him go on his own way. But the father's love never left him. It was always there. Now what can we walk away from with this truth this morning? Brothers and sisters, we need to realize that the father's extravagant love has always been for sinners. It has always been for sinners. Listen to what Romans 5, 6 through 8 says. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
So while you were a sinner, while we were still sinners, while we chose our own way, while we wanted the things of the Father and not the Father, while we were living in utter hopelessness, Jesus came to die for his people. He did not leave us in our hopelessness. He did not leave us to die. So much more so, he sent his son to die for us. So how do we know this about the Father? We know the Father's heart. We know this about him because of what Jesus did. He did not leave us as sinners. He came to make us sons and daughters of the King. The other truth that we need to understand is this. That sin is enjoyable for a season. Sin is enjoyable for a season. Speaking of Moses' plight with the Israelites in Hebrews eleven twenty five. It says this, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses chose to suffer than to enjoy the fleeting, just temporary pleasures of sin. Sin can be pleasurable. But Moses understood something that before Christ you don't understand. And that in Christ we now understand. And that this younger brother did not understand. While sin may be enjoyable for a season. While disobeying God may be enjoyable for a season. While those things may be great and wonderful. It will catch you. It will devour you. It will consume you. And it will kill you. Sin's pleasures are merely temporary because it always overpromises and it always under delivers. It never fulfills the hope that we need inside our hearts to be filled by Jesus. It's just a failure of a savior. This is why some of us inside this room right now need to turn to Jesus. You need to run to Jesus and ask him for forgiveness. Even though you may be enjoying your sin, there is so much joy found in a life lived for Christ. He promised us that there will be life and life abundantly. And that life can only be lived in a life that is lived fully submitted to him, not submitted to slavery and sin. We need to turn to Jesus, who is the ultimate forgiveness of our sins, because he took the sins that believers commit upon himself on the cross. So even when you are sinning, the Father's extravagant love is there for you. Even when you are running and enjoying your sin, the Father's lavish grace is there for you. Even when this younger brother said, Father, I want you dead. The Father's love was there for him. The Father's love never left him. Doesn't this tell us something mightily about our Heavenly Father? So not only receive His grace when you choose sin over Him, you need to receive His grace when you realize that you need Him. The irony of what happens to this little brother, if you continue on as we read earlier in verse chapter 13, as his son went off and squandered his property in reckless living, he spent everything he had and he had no more money. He was broke. Now we've all been there before. And he had no money, no hope, no food. And he was in such dire need that he had to hire himself out to a citizen of that country and then go work and feed pigs. Now if you know anything about pigs, pigs are nasty. They're not the cleanest animals in the animal kingdom. 
You wrestle with a pig, you get dirty. You feed pigs, you're going to get dirty. If you live in a pigsty, you're going to get really dirty. As this son would soon find out. Now we read this and we're like, oh man, that's really sad. This very Jewish audience would be appalled that the son had to do this. He would be so appalled that the son had to do this because, first off, he sold himself out to work for a Gentile. Someone who was out from underneath the promise of Israel. He sold himself out to work for a Gentile. Secondly, he worked with pigs. Pigs in Jewish culture are one of the unclean animals. And so this would just be absolutely appalling that he is there. And not only that, he's having to eat the pig's food. This is desperate times. This is desperate measure. And this is when he comes to his senses. Listen to verse 17 through 19 once again. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, excuse me, father, I have sinned against him and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your sin. Treat me as one of your father's servants. Listen to me to this, brothers and sisters. He comes to his senses and realizes it would be better back at his father's house. Why? What made him come to his senses? The thing that made him come to his senses was the father's drawing love. It was in this moment that he realized that the father's love was so much more that even his servants were better treated than he was in this moment. It was the father's love that drew him in, that wooed him back to make him realize I am in a very dire spot and I would be better off as one of my father's servants in the condition that I'm in. This made him come to his senses. So there's a spiritual truth here for us. And for all the little brothers inside this room, and we've all been this little brother, but there's some of us inside this room that are in this place right now. His love is greater than all of your sin. We sang this hymn this past week at the Southern Baptist Convention, and it said, my sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. No matter how many sins you commit, no matter where you are right now, I want you to hear this. His love, his mercy, his grace is greater than all of your sin. The other truth that is here is that we can only come to a right understanding of ourselves when we truly understand who our father is. We can only truly understand us about ourselves, about our, about who we are, our sinful condition, when we understand the mighty love of the father. That is what happened here. And his love, the father's love drew him back to himself. When we understand how great a love that God has for us. In the weight that we carry of our own sin, we have no choice but to turn to the Father who sent His Son for us, our true and bigger brother, Jesus Christ, who came to make a way for us through His extravagant love. When we realize the weight of our own sin, the weight of our own, just all this gravity that we carry, and who the Father is, we have no choice but to turn to Him. Thirdly, receive His grace When he graciously welcomes you, messy and all. Go down to verse 20. This is my favorite part of this passage. And he arose and came to his father. So the son is now walking back 
a walk of shame, if you might, walking back to his father. And as he got to the horizon, this passage shows us that this father was there waiting for him. This father was there waiting for him. This father was on the rooftop looking out every day, looking for this lost son to return home. And when he saw him appear on the horizon, it must have been something about the way he walked, about something about his gait. But immediately, this father did something that was absolutely undignifying, embarrassing. But brothers and sisters, he didn't care. He ran. He ran to him. He embraced him. He he kissed him again and again. And why did he do this? Because of who he is. That's simple. Because of who he is. He ran to the son. The Pharisees would have been absolutely, absolutely appalled by this. Because old men don't run. Old men don't run. Now some of you inside this room are going, you're exactly right, I don't run. But what I'm saying is this. It was not honorable for a father to run in this time period. It was disrespecting. It was disrespectful. But this father didn't care. He tucked tail and he ran to meet his son. He hightailed it to meet the lost son. These Pharisees would have been expecting this father to wait inside the door when that son knocked on his door for him to kick him back off the property. But instead, this father, so full of his love, so full of compassion, runs to the sinner. Runs to this lost son. This shows up to this, that this father runs to the wayward. This father runs to the wayward and he spills his love on repentant sinners. I love how the Greek breaks this down. In the, when it says compassion, that literally means so full of love that it's spilling out. So full of love that it's spilling out. He just could not help but to contain this love. And then when he got there, he kissed him. And the Greek says he kissed him again and again and again. It's kind of like one of those really annoying kisses. Where like, I'm so glad to see you. One of those. He was so excited to see him that that love is pouring out over him. This is such a beautiful picture. Of what happens when the lost sinner repents and turns to the father. Because our father is the pursuing one. He's the one who runs to meet the lost son. Brother, sister, in this room. I want you to listen to me right here. This is very important. Listen to me. Your dad was not a perfect man. My dad was not a perfect man. Your dad was not a perfect man. Some of us inside this room, our dads, just quite frankly, were just, they were not good dads. They weren't there for us. They failed miserably. This father that this parable is painting a picture of, our heavenly father, no love that you can ever experience, no sin that you can enjoy, nothing on this planet can match the extravagant love of our heavenly father. The one who runs to us, the one who embraces us, the ones whose grace never runs out. Nothing can match it. This father runs to you wherever you are, messy and all, covered in filth, covered in sin. There's this notion in the like Bible Belt culture that you have to keep it all together Clean yourself up before you come to church. Clean yourself up before you come to God. This passage blows that up, y'all. 
It blows it up. It destroys it because this sun was still covered in filth, probably still stunk to the high heavens. And this father didn't care. He loved and embraced him because you come to him broken and messy. The father will clean you up. You come to him humble. You come to him repentant and he will do the cleaning for you. He embraces the mess, brothers and sisters. He embraces the brokenness. He is near to the brokenhearted. Verse four, I mean, fourthly, receive his grace as he celebrates over you. Now, this is where we really see this prodigal father really show up in full in full esteem. We just saw him just over the top, spending his love extravagantly and lavishly on this little brother. But right here is where we see this beautiful picture. Now, I love what the son does right here. When I was in fourth grade. I did something, one of the stupidest things I ever did. I changed the grade on a conduct card. Okay? Now, you can probably guess why I got those conduct marks. It was for talking, if you're not shocked. So, I went went to my dad's work that day, and he had taught me how to run the copy machine because... For some reason, he thought it would be funny if I made like copies of my face and copies of my hand on the copy machine where, you know, you stick your head in there and put it down. Well, I learned how to work the copy machine. And what I did was I took the copy machine, made some white out, and I didn't do a good job of it because my dad noticed it. And I put good, good, good conduct marks and made a copy of it and turned it into my dad. And said, here, dad, I need you to sign this because I sure as heck wasn't going to turn it into my mom. Okay. Now, my dad looks at it, and he says, son, I want you to know this. If you change something on this, I will find out. If you change this, you're going to be in big trouble. But I'll sign it. I'm going, (laughs) I got away with it. Yeah, this is great. (laughs) Until it wasn't. Until a few hours later, when I got home... And the guilt set in. And I was standing there in my room. Ten years old. Thinking. Okay, I've got to tell my dad that I changed this grade. <laughs> I've got to tell my dad to do this. So guess what I did? I rehearsed it. Dad. I changed the grade. Well, that sounds way too stern. That sounds way too forceful. Dad, I'm very sorry. I didn't know what to say. And finally when I walked in. He knew what I did. He knew exactly what I did. This son right here, he rehearsed this line. If you read verse 21, he rehearsed it. He practiced it. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Which was true. He was no longer worthy to be called his son. But guess whose worth it's not about in this story. It's not about that son's worth. No, it's about that father's worth. It's not about who the son is. It's about who the father is. It's not about the prodigal son. It's about this prodigal father right here in this moment. This father knew what his son had done. But he didn't even let him finish his sentence. If you go back up to verse 18, you actually see at verse 19, it says, treat me as one of your hired servants. The son didn't even get that part out. Because the father was having none of that mess. That's what the father does. I love it. You ready for this? Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, 
Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead and now he is alive again. He was lost and now he is found and they began to celebrate. This best robe that he threw over his son's shoulders was reserved for a royal guest to visit. This ring that he put on his son's hand was to recognize the sonship between the father and the son. This re-accepting, this restoring moment. And the shoes that he put on his feet, well, who doesn't need a new pair of sandals? Did the son own any of those things? Absolutely not. It all belonged to the father. The grace that you receive, the faith that you have, his word tells us that that is all a gift from the father. He gives it to us. He gives it to us. It's nothing that we did, nothing that we did to earn it. This prodigal father is the one who lavishes his grace upon the lost son. And he will lavish his grace upon you when you turn to him. And he will clothe you with his righteousness. He will clothe you with himself. Because he who knew no sin became sin so that you may receive the righteousness of God. He did not leave you in your hopeless estate. He did not leave you there. He came to lavish his love upon us. Now his word also tells us in Hebrews Hebrews 12 that he is a consuming fire. He's a consuming fire of judgment. Upon those who don't turn to him. But for his children. Oh for his children. He runs. To the repentant sinner. He runs. To the repentant child. He runs to the broken one. He lavishes his love. Upon them. And this is the gospel brothers and sisters. This is the gospel. That the God. Who came and created us. And created us through his son. The one who we were created for. The one who we sinned against. He did not leave us. But instead showed us his love in such a way. That he sent his son to seek and save the lost. He chases us. He runs after us. He lavishes his love and his grace upon us. That we can only receive through the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the only way that we can accomplish it. And here's some truth for you that you just need to walk out of this room with and tell yourself every second of this week. Nothing I can do can separate me from this lavish, gracious love. No one in this room is away from the Father. Nothing you can do can keep you away from Him. But even better, nothing you can do can keep Him away from you. He will run to you, he will meet you, and he will consume you, and he will be the prodigal father for you, giving you all the forgiveness that you could ever ask for. Because of who he is, not because of what you've done. R. Kent Hughes says this about this passage. That there are two qualifications for this kind of forgiveness. First, we must see ourselves before we can see God. This younger brother was in the pigsty, covered in filth, eating pig pies, and he said... I'd be better off with my father as a servant. He realized his helpless estate. And secondly, 
If we know who we are, this leads to the second qualification. We then can know the Father's love. When we understand rightfully who we are, then we can know truthfully who the Father is and how His love is for us. Only then can we know the Father's love. Now, this party that the parable paints is no comparison to the party that goes down when a sinner repents. There's no comparison to the party that what happens when a sinner repents. Go to ver, uh, verse 7 over here, verse, uh, in uh, chapter 15. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Archangel Hughes says this, tears, repent, or tears of repentance are the wine, and for all of us Baptists in this room, grape juice of angels. Tears of repentance are the wine of angels. There is joy, unspeakable, unfathomable, immeasurable joy when the sinner turns to the Father. And there's so much joy, there's so much celebration because the one who was once dead has now found life. The one who was once lost has now been found. And the way that he is found, the way that she is found is by turning to the Father repentant and broken and realizing that the work has already been accomplished through the magnificent Son of God, Jesus Christ. That is the only way that we can be saved, brothers and sisters. That is the only way we can find the grace of God that has been accomplished for us. So I close with this. Where do you stand? Where do you stand? Many of us inside this room have been that younger brother. We have sinned greatly and we have realized the great mercy of God. We have understood that the mercy of God is so much greater than all of our sin. But there are some of us inside this room right now that have not realized that great mercy. We're still living inside that sin. And let me tell you this. Turn to Him to find the greatest joy that you'll ever find. Turn to Him to find the greatest love that you can ever find. Turn to Him to find the greatest gift that you can ever find. Turn to Him to find the best salvation that you can ever find. Turn to Him to find the treasure that's worth selling everything else for. And He will celebrate over you. He will lavish His grace upon you. And He will pour Himself out all over you as He did on the cross. And He will give you His Spirit and you will live for Him freely and abundantly. If you turn to Him There is grace at the foot of the cross if you come to him. Turn and run to the prodigal father, the one who has lavished his grace upon us, where we can find forgiveness for sins. Will you pray with me? Father, as we move to this time of baptism, I pray and say thank you so much for Nora. And her understanding the weight of her sin. And her turning to you. For her grace and her salvation. Let us celebrate with the angels today. That the one who was once lost is now found. The one who was once spiritually dead is now spiritually alive. And that nothing can ever take her out of the son's hand. But father there are people inside this room right now. That don't know your son. 
There are people right now inside this room that are prodigals in and of themselves, lavishing and spending recklessly the life that you have blessed them with. I pray that you will capture them, that you will draw them in with your love, and that you will be their Savior, and that you will open up their eyes to the marvelous grace of Jesus. Let us celebrate. Let us love. Let us live just with abundance through Jesus. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.